the second Bible reading for tonight is from Psalm 96, which is on page 629 on my Bible. So that's starting at verse 1, Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He will come to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. This is the word of the Lord. It's actually an amazing privilege to have the Bible in our own language that we can understand. When it was finally translated into English and uh, <clears throat> the King of England decreed that a copy of the Bible be placed in each parish church so that people could come and hear the word of God read, and many in those days were illiterate, at one church, Old St Paul's in London, people queued up outside the church, queued up like an election day to hear the Bible read. So we've got to be careful, we never take it for granted that we've got the Bible in our own language and that we can understand it. So let's ask God to help us now. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are so gracious, that you are so kind that we have your word in a language that we can understand. And we pray now, Lord God, that as we think about this passage, that by your mercy you would speak to us and help us to better understand it, that we might better understand you and your purposes in this world and so give you praise and glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine uh, who's a web designer uh, won a Webby Award. Some of you might know what a Webby is. Anyone ever heard of the Webbies? One, two, thank you very much. The Webbies are the internet equivalent of the Oscars. And uh, they won in the religious uh, category. It was for Fervor.net, an Australian website. Um, Now, when you go to the Oscars, you can only speak, I think, for three minutes. And if you go beyond three minutes... The bands have to play the music and they play over you so you get off the stage. With the Webbies, which are broadcast on the net, um, <coughs> that is something tighter than that. You can only say five words. Now, what would you do if you've got the whole of the internet world that's interested in the Webbies watching these awards and you're a Christian and you're going to say something for Jesus? Five words. And so... My friend and another friend that were going to accept the invitation, they crowdsourced the answer. And this is what they came up with. 
Jesus nailed it for us. Jesus nailed it for us. One person said Jesus nailed it, the other one said for us. And that was an amazing answer when you think about it. It's just so good, such a clear witness. Jesus nailed it for us. So that got me thinking, how could you sum up Psalm 96 in five words? And this is what I came up with, the Lord reigns. He's coming. It's cheating a bit with the apostrophe is on the he's, but yeah. The Lord reigns, he's coming. That's what it's all about. It's declaring to the whole world that God is actually the one who reigns and that he's coming one day back to the earth. And it's a foundation of our old Christian hope and joy and life. Um, and so it's based around this basic fact that the Lord reigns. And first of all, this is a message for the whole world. Notice the way the psalm opens in verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. If you ever sing sometimes, maybe in the car or in the shower or on other occasions, why do you sing? Sometimes we sing because we're really happy. Sometimes we sing because we're sad. But here, it's not an optional thing. We sing because we're commanded to sing. We command to sing and, and praise God's name because he is the one who reigns over the whole world. And the psalmist says here, sing a new song. Well, what was the old song? I take it that the old song was Israel's song, that God had adopted Israel as his people. He called him himself. He led them through uh, uh, the Exodus from Egypt to the, uh, the, the Red Sea and so on. But now there's a new song to sing. And this new song isn't just for Israel. It's actually for the whole world, for the nations of the world to hear about God and and what he's done. And that's a message that the whole world needs to know. Look at verse 3. The Lord reigns. Now, when you read the Old Testament, we get really used to the idea that Israel should be praising God and declaring his praise for what God's done for them. But then there's this idea that you pick up here in verse 3 that we're told that we declare his glory among the nations. Now, we might be so used to that idea that we forget, we don't see the impact of what it's saying. The nations, the non-Israelites, no longer is the message about God to be restricted just to the Jewish nation. It's now to go to the nations, to the peoples. That's what it's talking about here. This message is to go out to the whole world. It's a missionary psalm. Telling people wherever they are that God is the one that reigns, that God is in charge of everything. You see, if you, if you get that fundamental fact that God is in charge, you get that wrong, everything else in life gets, is wrong. Because you've, you've, you've started at the wrong point. I was in Bangladesh a couple of years ago uh, and I was speaking briefly in this, in this small village uh, room and uh, the sun was setting and suddenly I saw all these uh, Muslim faces pe- peering in the window. And I thought, what's attracting them? Well, we were singing. And we actually had joy in what we were singing about. Um, I wasn't doing too much singing because I couldn't understand the language. But I think it was that that attracted them to come and stare in the window. Maybe not just this white fella uh, that's there. But yeah, there was some joy in what we were singing. And we were singing this fundamental fact. Even in that small village in Bangladesh, the Lord reigns. And please hear about this. Hear that Jesus is Lord, that, that God is King. So let me just ask you this simple question. Have you forgotten that this is a message for the whole world? I've been a Christian for, more, for many, many years now and I've learned it's very easy to be complacent. 
and to think to myself, well, surely everybody knows this, but they don't. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. And it's very easy for us, if we're in a nice, comfortable Christian, can I put it crudely, cocoon, to think, well, I'm right, and forget about the fact that outside of our circle of of friends and church, there's many people that need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take up this psalm afresh. We need to let it impact us so that we'll want to tell people in Australia and overseas about Jesus using any means uh, possible. You see, sometimes our gospel is too small. Sometimes we're tempted to think that people in faraway lands don't need to hear the gospel or that somehow it can't touch their lives. But the psalm is saying here they need to hear and it can touch their lives. It can transform their lives. Um, there are parts of the world today that have just been impacted by the gospel in just amazing ways. Mongolia, early 1990s, about 200 Christians. Today, 80,000 and upwards in just the space of 24 years. That's an amazing work of God. And yet you go to a place like Yemen, very few known believers. There are believers there, but they have to be very quiet about what they do or they'll be executed or imprisoned fairly soon. You see, what does the Bible say about the gospel? that it transforms, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. It transforms people. Satan will whisper in our ear, well, it's no use. Remember that time you talked to that person about Jesus and that person said no? Oh, see, the gospel's hopeless. It's It's powerless. But the gospel is powerful and Satan would have us believe that it's got no power because the psalm here says, the Lord reigns. And the whole world needs to hear about it. So friends, we need to be caught up in the excitement of this psalm. We need to be shaken out of our complacency that we do fall into from time to time and remember that, well, Surrey Hills needs to hear this, Deakin needs to hear this, Melbourne needs to hear this, Australia, the whole world needs to hear this. And one of the problems in 21st century Australia is that we're told, look, you've got religion, just keep it to yourself. Keep it private. Don't get too excited. Yeah, you can talk about sport, you can talk about politics, but just don't dare talk about religion. And especially, don't talk about this Jesus fellow, particularly today in Australia. And so we're told, be quiet. But you try telling the psalmist this. You can't shut this psalmist up. He wants the whole world to know that God is king over everything. You see... How can we gather each Sunday and sing those great songs we sing and not think, I wish every pew here was full of people. I wish there was a queue outside of people waiting to come into the 15th service for the day. I wish that Chris and John were worn out from having preached the whole day because people here want to hear about Jesus every moment of the day. How can we sing and not want everybody else in Melbourne to come and join and fill our church buildings to overflowing in praise to God. Because that's one of the reasons we're here, isn't it? To call people to come and worship the God whom we worship, the the God who's Saviour, so the whole world knows. The psalmist, the next thing he tells us here, that we need to wake up. We need to abandon the gods that are just idols, that aren't the real gods. Because if a person won't, um, won't, won't praise God, Don't praise the living God. What's the alternative? Well, they worship the idols, the God that they've created, that they're comfortable with. So notice what the psalmist says in verses 4 and 5. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. 
For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You'll know that old children's story. The emperor has no clothes. You know, everyone's going around and they're saying, oh, your majesty, your clothes look magnificent when he's actually naked. And it's a little child that comes out and blurts out, the emperor has no clothes. And that's what the psalmist does here. He says the idols have no clothes. They're not real. They're just Kmart imitations. You know, they don't last. They don't, they don't deliver. And he actually speaks the truth about them. He actually says they're worthless idols. They're empty. They're vain. I live in Sydney and about 45 minutes south of me there is a $50 million Buddhist temple. It's a really impressive structure. And about 10, 15 years ago the Anglican Bishop of Wollongong wrote in the local newspaper that the, that the God that the Buddhists worship and the idols they worship, they're nothing. They're not real. Well, even 15 years ago that didn't go down very well in New South Wales. This is 7.30 report about it. Uh, the chairman of the New South Wales Ethnic Affairs Commission was calling for a public apology and so on. People were on talkback. Well, what was the problem? This bishop said, the emperor has no clothes. These are just idols, that they're not real. He told the truth, that they're just a human invention. And you see, the Bible does that. It tells the truth about idols, doesn't it? And it keeps on pointing out the idols in our heart. Think of the prophet Isaiah. Time after time after time, he keeps on saying, idols are nothing. You take a bit of wood, you cut it in half, one, bit of, uh, one half of it you use to bake your bread, the other half you carve into an idol and you bow down and you worship it and you say something like, you know, you made me, you control the world. And I, Isaiah says, you idiot, it's just a chunk of wood. What are you worshipping it for? He tells the truth. In fact, read through Isaiah, he's incredibly sarcastic toward idols and idolatry. It just says, if I can summarise Isaiah, it's idiocy, it's madness. Why would you worship a human invention? Um, can you imagine if Isaiah were to say that today and he appeared on the 7.30 report or television, there'd be, there'd be just outrage. How dare he say that? He's a bigot. He's out of touch with reality. Doesn't he know what 21st century Australia is like? How insensitive and so on and so on. Because he told the truth. This psalm tells the truth. And friends, we need to keep on speaking the truth. About... Uh, early 1990s, I was a minister in Sydney and one day uh, a fellow walked into the local shopping centre and shot about nine people. A terrible event. It wasn't long after Hoddle Street down here. And uh, so we ministers in the area, we got together and we decided we would hold a, a public service uh, of, of, of grief um, and uh, expression of, of what had gone on in, in this square we had in our community at Strathfield, a fairly central area in Sydney. And so we had this meeting of all the ministers and, um, and one of them said, look, I've got a hold of the, the liturgy they used at Hoddle Street uh, where the ministers down there did a similar sort of thing. And uh, the minister that was promoting this said, but this has got this really great advantage. This order of service doesn't mention the name of Christ. And so any Buddhists that come, any Muslims that come, they won't be offended at all uh, by this. Uh, that hymn, God has spoken by his prophets, will cut the verse out that says, God has spoken by Christ Jesus. That's, that's offensive. Now, this is the early 1990s. There are about 14 ministers in the room and I said, we can't do this. We are Christian, Christian ministers. And here's the sad thing. I was the only one that objected. I was the only one. 
And that staggered me. I thought at least the Baptists and the Salvation Army would stand up and say, yeah, we agree with Kevin. This is wrong. We've got to be witnesses for Christ. But they didn't. So even people who claim sometimes to belong to Christ will deny him. In that, that was a very blatant way of doing it. They wrote to me afterwards and said, we're disappointed by your reaction. And it was a very Christian service, by the way, which was ironic because it used the word Christ in the name when you think about it. But we need to be clear. Even when others will sometimes denounce us, mock us, ridicule us, we need to be faithful to Jesus in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to Jesus because it's a world that's caught up in its own idols. Um, this morning, all across Melbourne, there were other churches that were open called Westfield Shopping Malls. You have them down here. And there were people there worshipping, weren't they? You know, material goods and so on. Um, I came to Melbourne about, I think, 10 years ago and it was a free night and a friend invited me along to church at the uh, MCG and there were families there and they were singing hymns to Collingwood and Essendon and so on. For some people, that's also a bit of an idol sometimes as well. But people need to know about Jesus. People need to know about Jesus. What does the psalmist say to people like this? Wake up, come and worship the true God. He puts it this way in verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord our families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. We're to come before the Lord and give him the glory that he deserves. We're to worship him. We're to grasp who he is and we're to tremble. We're to be like Job at the end of the book of Job when he realises how awesome God is. He puts his hand over his mouth and he says, I'm silenced because God, you are far, 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 far greater than I am. You see, you don't tremble before an idol. You know, you treat an idol, an idol like a Coca-Cola machine, you know. You put in your prayers, your requests and your, your gifts that you give to the idol in the vain hope that something might pop out. That's not a relationship. You know, that's payback and there's nothing delivered anyway in the end. There's nothing there. So where do the words of, of, of verses 7 to 9 here fit into your life? Do we come before the Lord? Do we tremble? Do we grasp that he is the true and living God in the midst of a world that wants to worship a whole variety of idols, whether they be visible or whether they be invisible? Because the psalm is based upon this fundamental reality that you see in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. That's all you need to know to live a God-honouring life. To know that the Lord reigns and he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to save those who will, who will belong to him, who will believe in him. The psalm ends with a brilliant picture to tell us that the king is coming. It's a picture in verses 11 to 12 of all of creation at praise. Here is the entire earth rejoicing that God has come. The, the seas roar, the fields and the crops in the fields as well rejoice. Can you imagine that? You know, the wheat rejoicing because of God and the, uh, the, the, the trees, they sing for joy. And so here's all of creation. You can't hold it back. It wants it to shout out God's greatness and his majesty. It's a magnificent picture. But it's also an invitation to you and me to come and join inanimate creation in praising our great God because 
If inanimate creation praises God, then surely we, animate creation, uh, should do that as well. And this is a message for every man, woman and child on the planet. In Revelation 14, there's a picture of an angel um, going throughout the world. Uh, then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. It's an eternal gospel. It never goes out of fashion. And notice its scope. It's for the whole world. You see, sometimes people will say to us, you know, you Christians and your message about Jesus, that's fine for you. Just go in your corner and play, you know, you're irrelevant to the rest of society. And just let the Buddhists do their own thing and the Muslims and so on. And they say, you know, don't, don't bother the Buddhists, don't bother the uh, atheists, etc. Just go and do your own thing. But the psalmist says, no, the whole world needs to know about Jesus. And friends, that's what impels us in mission. One of the many things that impels us, whether mission takes place here or whether it takes place in a, in a foreign land somewhere. Creation sings, but it sings because God is coming. Not simply returning, but coming to judge. And most people don't like that idea. But the psalm ends with this picture of the Saviour who's coming to judge the earth. That's what we have in verse 13. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. It's interesting how the idea of judgment is woven into our culture. You pick up a newspaper and sometimes you see the headline, Judgment Day Coming, and it's you know, for Carlton or it's for a politician or, or whatever it is. Then there are the movies over the years, Armageddon, Deep Impact, 2012, Judgment Day and so on. Built into our consciousness as human beings, there is this idea that there's a termination date coming up, that this world is actually heading towards a final day. And, uh, and that's what the psalm is about. It's telling us that there is a final day coming. So, you might want to flip over, you've got your Bibles open to Acts 17. And here's Paul in the Areopagus. It's the intellectual elite, the city council, and he has an opportunity to speak to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does Paul tell these Athenians? Well, it's the theme of tonight's sermon. He says, the Lord reigns, he's coming. Just those five words again. He says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Again, that's the most fundamental fact that you need to know. When we read in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Moses is saying there, it's not the God of the Babylonians or the Canaanites and so on, it's the God of the Bible. He's the one that created the world. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that reigns. So when Paul says here that the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth, can you join him? Can you join him in declaring this? Have you grasped that this is a message that Melbourne and Adelaide and Perth and Darwin and Sydney and Brisbane and even Hobart needs to hear? People everywhere need to hear about Jesus. And there's a great temptation in the Christian life to think that, well, we can reach a plateau and just cruise along till retirement and life will be fine after that. But no, we've got to do wherever God should place us. We need to actively be involved in declaring that he is the Lord. Did you notice something also that Paul says in, in, um, in Acts 17? 
He says, verse 31, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. You can hear echoes of Psalm 96 there. By the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ stands at the very heart of what we believe and who we are. People might sneer at it, they might laugh at the idea, but it won't go away. You can get a, a, a DVD of a debate between Richard Dawkins and John Lennox. And it's, uh, the debate is going along really well until at the end of the um, debate, the moderator says, Time, gentlemen, you must now close with your closing arguments. And John Lennox said that he'd miscalculated at that point and suddenly he realised he was running out of time. What was he going to do? He had more argument to make. And so he thought, I'll preach. And so he, he actually closed the, the debate with this verse. But God has set a day when he will send, uh, he's appointed a day when he will send a man to judge this world. And Richard Dawkins said this. Well, there we have it. All night we've had this scientific debate, all very rational, all very reasonable, and now it comes down to this. It comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. How petty. How unworthy of the universe, this idea of Jesus being raised from the dead. And he was sneering at it. He was mocking John Lennox openly and the, and the whole idea. But despite what Richard Dawkins thinks, it's true. God has judgment day fixed in his diary. The day is coming. And it's not something we can escape. Uh, we, we can't deny it. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. He can return to judge. And that puts all of history into perspective. We're not just going along, bumbling along in some random way. We're moving towards this day when Jesus will return, when there will be judgment and it could be any day. So friends, I want to urge you tonight to join the song of this psalmist and sing to the Lord a new song, to let your life declare it, let your words declare it and let the whole world know using the gifts that God has given you, and he's gifted each one of us differently, we're not all the same, but using the gifts that God has given you so that this message can bring out wherever God has placed you, that people might know that God is God and that Jesus is his son. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for telling us that you are the true and living God and that Jesus is your son. We recognise afresh this evening that this is not something that has come to us by our own intelligence or deduction, but something that's been revealed to us by you out of your mercy and grace. Help us, Lord God, uh, to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and to do that in a way that's attractive in the way that we say it and yet clear in the way that we, uh, we speak it. And help us live lives that match those words so that people can see that when we say that Jesus is Lord, they can see that we really mean it by the things that we do and that we say. And we pray that our lives might bring honour and glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' strong and precious name. Amen.